From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today's episode is a Q&A episode and I'm answering your questions. And some of the topics that I will be covering on this episode include anxious thoughts and its relationship to physical symptoms, morning anxiety, and what to do during this debilitating time of a health anxiety sufferer's day and also night anxiety, and dealing with the thoughts of death and non-existent and why these thoughts come about, especially in the evening time. So thank you for your questions. Really powerful questions on today's episode. And if you want to send me a question for a future Q&A episode or in general, if you just want to talk to me, go to unpluganxiety.com under contacts, ask me anything. Also, you can do that on the YouTube version of the podcast or the videos on the YouTube channel. And last week, you guys found that episode, part two of the great knowledge I found in book series. You guys found that to be really useful, and I'm really glad I shared some of the best, or I want to say most knowledgeable books that I've found to be helpful during my recovery journey and my spiritual journey now, even after suffering from anxiety because it's really important to expand the mind, keep on growing, and these books are really powerful, and I'm glad that you guys found that podcast or those two podcasts to be useful, and I hope that you check out those books. Krishna A., who left a comment on this podcast before, says, As a longtime listener, I can see myself now in a totally different place to where I was before, The knowledge I gained from your podcast helped me out of the severe anxiety I used to be in. Thank you, Krishna, for sharing. Malcolm says, In moments of terror and debilitating anxiety, I would put on your podcast. In these moments, I could feel the tension lessening several notches. Having a voice that speaks the same language as I do saved me from darker pains. Many thanks. Thank you, Malcolm, for sharing. And I'm really grateful that I can share all of your comments and stories here on the show because anxiety is so common and it's important to understand that and that there is this deeper flaw within society nowadays of not addressing this, not addressing proper tools, and well, especially through schooling growing up in in America, right? And, well, North America for me, but I imagine all around the, the Western sphere is just awful how we don't know how to deal with trauma. We are so consumed and distracted that 
we don't know who we are anymore. And a lot of health anxiety sufferers don't know who they are, but also they're not comfortable in their own skin. So I'm just grateful that I get to share your stories and how you've been progressing and that it's a never-ending journey and we can heal ourselves naturally without medications, without coping strategies, right? The first question comes from Heather Private. She says, how do our anxious thoughts produce physical symptoms? Really great question. And there was a moment where you attached a strong emotional connection to a certain feeling. There's always that moment. And when I would get a client and we would unravel the layers of their past, they would come to me and say, Brad, you know, I remember all of a sudden this moment from my past that I reacted to with such strong emotion, this moment of anxiety or this moment where in my life where I reacted to this symptom with strong emotion. And then this happens when you start to peel off the layers, release some of that baggage, right? You start to pour out the water of your glass, of your emotional glass that's full, right? So a lot of times you may not realize that there were moments in your past because you've repressed them. They're down deep within your unconscious mind. But when you start to heal certain things, you start to lighten the load, you start to empty the glass, and then all of a sudden things start to come up that you forgot about. And you have that aha moment of, oh yeah, I had this moment when I was 15, when I reacted to this symptom or when I was 10 or whenever it was. And then I really want, I really want to answer this question. How do you know if this symptom isn't a serious health threat? And the answer is you don't unless you get it examined. But the reason why health anxiety sufferers react to new unknown symptoms is that they have to heal the underlying source. Perhaps it's a moment from your past that perpetuated this belief of being unhealthy. There was this moment this hypersensitivity over their health is a built-in pattern. And traumatic moments tend to trigger a pattern of obsessive thought patterns because of its emotional intensity. The unconscious mind Hold on to these moments so that you do not encounter them again in the future. So there, there may have been a moment from your past, maybe it's from your parent, that they were ruminating over their health. They had this belief of this symptom could be this thing. And you absorbed that because you were like a sponge when you were a young kid. And then you adopted this pattern of thinking from them. And so 
the reason why you hold on to these moments, even though you've repressed them, they're still down in your unconscious, is because the unconscious wants to resolve that unknown uncertainty that has been planted inside you, right? It holds on to these moments so that they so that you do not encounter them again in the future future it's this survival response to get past this survival response or this unknown problem that's still lurking deep within you you have to show the unconscious mind that you understand why that event or situation occurred and why you should keep that event in the past because the right brain, our right brain is mostly active during trauma, unless you're in depersonalization. Depersonalization shuts down a lot of brain activity, but during a scan and beautifully mentioned in Bessel van der uh, Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, is that the right brain is being mostly active during trauma or revisiting trauma or revisit, revisiting a high emotional event in your past. It's through visualizing, right? The right brain is the image-based side of your brain where you imagine and it also shows in these scans that the amygdala the right side of the amygdala is active as well so we see here that this unsolved problem that you are repressing will keep you in threat detection mode and what now that you're in threat detection mode continuously this will burn up your inner resources. Your anxiety response will remain active until the problem is resolved, right? So why I mentioned the right side of the brain is that, which is so interesting to me because, you know, the left hemisphere of the brain is more for logical thinking, for rational thought, but also the right side of the brain is for imagination images, right? And we see and you see that when you recall a past high emotional event from your past, you have a, a brief movie of it in your mind. You have this brief image, this brief GIF, you know, those GIFs on Facebook or wherever in, in messages that is like three seconds long and then it repeats. It's sort of like that, that we hold on to. It's like this, this moment in time that we hold on to. And then it keeps us stuck in the past because our unconscious is like, hey, remember this moment? We haven't solved it yet. And it sticks with you unless you go back and show the unconscious mind that this needs to be left in the past and that it's not part of me now that when you resolve it now 
it goes back into the past and you stop holding on to it. Really, really powerful. Now, with your anxiety response being active all the time, you will get a wide variety of sensations because, well, your immune system becomes compromised. When you're in threat detection mode, what your body is doing is it's saying, hey, I don't need to worry about digestion right now. I have to respond to this immediate danger. Hey, I'm not worried about food right now. And so that's why you don't feel hungry when you're suffering from anxiety because of this threat. Now the body is in fear response mode. Everything tightens up. Your breathing becomes more shallow. Your muscles tighten up to respond to the danger. Many people suffering from anxiety, including myself in the past, would be tense all the time and would respond to other people with anger because of how tense you are and because of the increase in cortisol, the increase in adrenaline. And so your body is basically putting its foot onto the gas pedal, but the car is in park. You're just revving the engine. And when your body is tense, there are many, many different sensations that occur. Body pains, uh, chest pains, back pains, headaches, stiffness all over. There's a wide variety. And those symptoms get interpreted as a health concern from a health anxiety sufferer. And then the cycle repeats itself because you're obsessing about each individual symptom. Your anxiety is then still active because of the obsess, the obsession. So if here's the thing, if you are focused in on a sensation, I can already tell you that you have anxiety or that your anxiety response is active if you're obsessing. So that's an indicator because you're constantly focused in on a certain feeling or sensation, it's safe to assume that well, your anxiety response is active. Your stress response is active. Your sympathetic nervous system is active. And then a great question I love to answer on this podcast or on my channel is, why isn't everyone all the time reacting to any strange sensation in a catastrophic manner? Because we're all tilted towards negative emotion. And that's because for our survival, we have to be more tilted towards negative emotion. And so two big reasons, everyone isn't reacting to, well, me right now, I'm not reacting to any strange sensation in a catastrophic manner is because of two big reasons. One, their emotion, sorry, their emotional glass is not overflowing. And two, they have 
firm beliefs that they are healthy mainly based off their lifestyle choices. So for me, my emotional glass is not overflowing. You see that with people, any novelty that enters their life, they react to with anger and high emotion. You see that all the time. That's because their emotional glass is full. They have so much baggage within them. But also, those people who aren't aren't suffering from health anxiety and not worried about every little thing, is that because they view themselves as this healthy person? Why? Well, I view myself as a healthy person because I meditate every day. I journal all the time, every day. I eat healthy. I watch what I eat really, really. I am really focused on what I am eating so that I can feel good or what I'm putting into my body or the exercise that I get. You get the idea. There's a lot of habits that I do that cement in this belief of why I am healthy. I do breathing exercises. That makes me healthy. I take cold showers. So I have a tool belt of many tools that I implement every day that decrease the activation of my sympathetic nervous system, but also I have tools to handle any novelty that pops up every single day. So if something happens today, I know, okay, this is how I should handle it so that I don't lug this baggage around with me the next day. So you have to develop a personality of, well, a personality that consists of tools and techniques to lessen your anxiety response and lessen the baggage that has been built up over the many, many, many years. And then once the baggage starts to break apart and dissipate, you will find that well, your days get a lot better. You feel lighter. And you also view yourself as somebody who is healthy. Because now, going through recovery, you're facing your fears. You're facing the things that you always avoided. And now, you see yourself as this strong person rather than this weak person. Thank you, Heather, for your question The second one comes in from M. Manish, step-by-step instructions for morning anxiety. Great suggestion. Well, in the morning, you're most susceptible to strong negative thought. You're vulnerable. You wake up and it's like the guard of your mind is sleeping. I remember when I was suffering from health anxiety, the guard in my mind would always be sleeping. I had no internal dialogue with myself to sort out problems. That didn't exist. I would just have this emotional reaction all the time to the feelings or my thoughts. And when you wake up in the morning, the guard in your mind is usually sleeping, right? It's weak. And the concerns that you have about the day, maybe the uncertainty of the day, 
bombard you and it, it could be overwhelming because it's like all of these things come into your mind at one time. And so all of these problems within you are making themselves known first thing in the morning. And whatever is at the top of your values list is going to make itself known to you because what you focus on every day, and this also pertains to Heather's question, what you focus on every day is what you're going to manifest, is what you're going to value. And if you're valuing your that symptom and whether it's cancer or a serious disease and you're always obsessing over it, that's going to be at the top of your values list, right? And so when you wake up in the morning, it's like your values list is reminding your, yourself or your anxiety response or your unconscious mind is reminding you, okay, this is what's the threat of the day. This is the threat that you have to solve or this is what you have to confront. And it, it can be dreadful if you don't have the tools or a structure to help you face that dragon. And so for me, when I wake up in the morning, I would first engage and activate my inner dialogue. What I would say to myself when I open up my eyes and get up is it's a challenge day. Today is a challenge. It's a challenge day. It's a challenge day. So why challenge? Why would I say that? A challenge is something that you can overcome. When you say to yourself, I can't do this, there's no way, you're not going to do it. The dragon is just going to grow in size. If you refer to the day as a challenge, it's something that can be overcome and that you can overcome. And the next thing I would do is I would write down all negative thoughts and obstacles that are facing you for the day. What's on your mind? Write them down. And you will find that when you start to write down those negative thoughts, it's going to be difficult. Well, why is it difficult to write down negative thoughts? It's because it's like a part of you doesn't want to face them. A part of you doesn't want to be aware of them. And a lot of you just wants to repress them rather than confront them because writing down negative thoughts is a form of confrontation and it requires some strength to confront those negative thoughts. So writing those thoughts down is a form of release because you're getting the clutter of your mind down onto paper and you're forming it into a structure, a structured format because your mind's in chaos, your body's in chaos. When you start to write things down, you're adding more order to the chaos because anxiety suffers, anxiety disorder, break it down, disorder. There's not enough order. Writing things down helps add order, really important. Also, meditate because meditation calms from calms the anxiety response. It calms the sympathetic nervous system. And so 
it's important to have a structure. You want as much predictability in the day as you can manage, as you can. Because if your day is full of chaos, then you have to add some order in there. Having a structured morning routine helps add that order. It prepares you for the day. So after writing down all your negative thoughts, meditate. Meditate. It's difficult at first, I know, but the fact that you just do it and sit there is really powerful. Engage in your breathing. And it's important to have something sacred in your life. A lot of people nowadays don't have anything sacred in their life. Something that's for them. Something that is meaningful to them. And so I, at least for me, I have that sacred moment every morning. I have this period of time every single day that I do not miss where I sit with myself, I meditate, I write for a little bit, and then I do some stretching. And if I have something really stressful that I expect, I would write about it and I would meditate on it and visualize how I want the day to go ideally. Because when you do that, when you meditate and visualize, you're speaking directly to your unconscious mind. And that's where I'm going to leave you with that question. So thank you, M. Manish, for sending that question in. Almost Zen says, Night anxiety in regards to thoughts on death and non-existence. The first thing I want to talk about in regards to that question is the shadow. Learn about the shadow part of yourself, the part that you don't want to confront, the part where negative thoughts stem from, the part that reaches all the way down to hell, the part where you can end up if you if you are living a chaotic life. And I know that for me, I could end up if I started to neglect my health and what I was eating. If I started to avoid meditation and exercise and I started to watch Netflix all day and I was getting chips, well, I would easily fall back into my old patterns. My old patterns of bad relationships, negative friends, I know I can slip back there and that's the dark part of myself that I know exists. Being aware of that dark part is really important. So learn about the shadow which was coined by clinical psychologist Carl Jung. Now, a big aspect of health anxiety is that you, you awaken to your own mortality. When I was suffering from anxiety, I, it was because of the behaviors I was engaging in that made me extremely, extremely conscientious of my own mortality, that I'm not immortal and I could die, right? It's coming to that realization. Now, 
Captain Hook from Peter Pan was blind. He was blind to the devouring beast lurking in the water and time. Time was chasing Captain Hook along with the thing that was going to eat them. And so time and the devouring beast here in this story is one in the same. They're both the same thing, time and the thing that's going to eat you. So that's interesting. Why are they the same thing? And so tyrants are always blind to their own destruction. They are always blind to their own demise. If you run, the threat grows. Time lessens, right, in your life. As you get older, what happens? Time is lessening. And you're getting older. And you will never resolve the threat if you keep running away from the threat. So for me, as I was advancing in my mid-20s, I was blind to the fact that I was getting older. I didn't want to confront that idea because it made me even more anxious. But also what made me even more anxious was that I was constant, constantly avoiding the things that I should have been confronting and I was remaining on Pleasure Island, right? Because Peter Pan looks at Captain Hook and says, why would I want to grow up to be like him? He's just this tyrant and Captain Hook is the only adult Peter Pan knows. But what's so beautiful about Peter Pan's story is that Peter Pan, because he's living on Pleasure Island and doesn't want to grow up, is actually going to end up like Captain Hook anyways. That's what's so great about the story, is that Peter Pan and Captain Hook are actually one of the same. They're both blind. They're both blind to the fact that they don't want to take on responsibility, that by living on Pleasure Island is only going to increase their blindness over their own realities and, and keep them in that avoidance of true responsibility. And that's what's so great about the story, but also... I can see that it was me going through my mid-20s. I was living on Pleasure Island. I, you know, why go to work and, and be stressed out and face those uncomfortable situations when I could just go hang out with my friends, smoke weed, and live live on Pleasure Island. Just engage in all of my impulsive pleasures. But eventually it cost me. What what did it cost me? It cost me time. Because eventually I got to a point where I had extreme health anxiety. My anxiety was a level 9, 10, 11 every single day. And that's because all the impulsive pleasures and things I was engaging in were causing many snakes to emerge. There were many, many serpents 
bubbling up to the surface that were that was causing me anxiety and I had to confront them and lessen them. I had to sacrifice things in my life to lessen all of those snakes in order to get to a point in my life where my anxiety was lessened. But I had to sacrifice many things to strengthen my mind. I had to sacrifice negative friends because when I would hang around them, their beliefs would penetrate me in a way that would impact my own life. And also their habits would impact my own life. And then I had to avoid behaviors and certain habits like caffeine or whether whether it was pornography or whether it was uh, watching too much TV or junk foods. I, there, was, there was a lot of things I had to sacrifice. And Peter Pan is not willing to sacrifice those things because you see in that story, Wendy is this real woman who wants to grow up and have a family. And Peter Pan's like, I don't want to take on that responsibility. I want to be king of the losers, right? And, you know, being king of the lost boys, you know, it has some utility, but be, when you think about it and you become more aware of it, being king of the losers is not something to be proud of in any way. Now, how much power are you giving these thoughts on death? That's my next question. If you react to them, as a threat, they remain a threat to you, like the crocodile. If you keep running away and reacting to it as a threat, rather than confronting it, confronting the shadow parts of yourself, well, the crocodile is always going to be lurking in the water with a clock in, it, in its stomach. Because then a year goes by or two years goes by, and then you wake up one day and say, oh my God, you know, where did time go? I spent two years stuck. And that's like in the Peter Pan story, the time is chasing Captain Hook. He doesn't want to confront time because if he confronts time, what happens? He'll probably be like, oh my God, what happened to my life? You know, I've been stuck in unconsciousness. I've been blind for such a long time. And the, Dal the, Dal the Dalai Lama says in the Book of Joy, which I highly recommend that book, says that he embraces death because of his meditation practices. That through meditation comes a peace and separation between thoughts. Even an acceptance of thoughts and feelings. You sit inside your unconscious when you meditate. And so when you are aware of the thoughts that pop up during meditation, there is this separation that occurs. It's, it's beautiful. But also when you meditate and you actually detach yourself from the ego, from thought, you are in this space of awareness. You're in this space of space. And the more you practice being in that space, the less you will, the less anxiety you will have over your feelings of death. 
it's really, really interesting. And being comfortable in that space, it's like being, it's like when you're asleep, you don't have this anxiety about death in your sleep unless you're having these specific nightmares about it. You're in this dreamlike state, you're in this unconscious state, but when you practice meditation, you revisit this space and awareness that makes you more comfortable in in your own skin and and in this in this unconscious state. It's very difficult for me to explain, but I hope that helped you. It's awareness of the dark parts of the unconscious mind is that's like facing the crocodile rather than running from it. When you're sitting with the things that you fear, you know, a lot of people suffering from anxiety, they can't sit with themselves. But when you do sit with yourself and you confront that uncomfortable feeling, I guess you can say, or thoughts that are that that connect with those feelings you get become more comfortable in that space and what i also recommend is that you add and find some meaning so for me it was the idea of getting to this place in my life free of anxiety that there is this brad out there among the horizon that I could get to if I change my patterns every day, that if I sacrifice all these different things in my life, I could, I could get there because my whole life I viewed myself as a quitter, as this weak person. I couldn't get, I couldn't attain any success. But when I started to take on the responsibility of overcoming my anxiety, that gave me a meaning in my life. That gave me a drive. That set an aim for me. That when I woke up in the morning, I had an aim. What can I do today to prove my old self wrong? And then I started to go to the coffee shop and read books rather than go to my friend's house. I would start to... Go to the bookstore and see how quick I could read this book because I never used to be a reader. I started to do the opposite of what I used to do. And so I found that through that discipline gave me the meaning in my life that I started to view myself as this strong person through that discipline. And that's where I'm going to leave you on this podcast episode. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope that you found this episode to be useful. It's a longer one than usual, but I really wanted to dive deep into these questions because they are actually really, really great questions and I really appreciate them. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast or it could be a video. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.